0: Good evening, I'm Alvin Yoxenreiter. Sunday has turned into Monday, and welcome to The Final Word, the show that invites you into the conversation morning, noon, night, and even after midnight. You can get your opinion on TV right here every Sunday night. We're live, and we have a lot to talk about. Let's get started by introducing you to tonight's three panelists. Please welcome the afternoon host at 1059 The X, Here he is at 1 a.m. Mr. Mark Madden Alby
1: tonight Mike Tomlin got out coached by a guy who wasn't even there
2: from the Trib, also a Steelers radio host hi Tim Benz here's where Mike Tomlin really screwed up the most when they got down three scores he failed to send Max Talbot out to have a fight with Miles Garrett everybody knows that would have fixed everything
0: and from our partner, DKPittsburghSports.com, Chris Carter's back. Pretty sure any anyone who's fallen flat on
3: their face hasn't hurt as much as this game did to the Steelers.
0: Yeah, this was a rough one. Uh, I think everybody will agree. Some of the topics we're talking about tonight, the Steelers' decision to punt in the fourth quarter. Would you have punted or gone for it on fourth and one, and why? Should it be the end of the line for Ben Roethlisberger, or do you have faith in him? and what are the reasons to be optimistic about the Steelers' future from uh, what you saw this season. But first, the night's big topic. The biggest reason for the Steelers' collapse from 11-0 to now what we saw tonight. Mark, you're first.
1: Well, Albie, as I said many, many times on this program and on my radio show, the Steelers never were that good to begin with. They were never as good as 8-0, and 9-0, 10-0, They just weren't. They never passed the eye test. They never looked like that kind of juggernaut. They won a bunch of close games against a bunch of bad or mediocre teams. They only played 60 minutes once the entire season, ironically, in their first meeting with Cleveland this year, in which they decisively thrashed the Browns. Tonight, they got beat and soundly. I mean, the score was deceptively close. They got beat soundly by a team that was ravaged by injury and by COVID and had only practiced one time all week. Tonight was a stink sandwich, and everybody has to take a bite, but anybody with eyes and a brain could have
0: seen it coming. All right, Tim Benz, you're
2: next. I'll steal a Keith Butlerism here. They got dagum figured out and at It took about 10 weeks, but opposing defensive coordinators realized the Steelers weren't doing on offense what they were doing because they wanted to or they were good at it. Uh, They were, but they were doing it because they had to. And when offensive coordinators realized that Bud Dupree and Devin Bush weren't coming back, they realized you can run on the Steelers whenever you want, and if they're not getting turnovers, you can gouge them. And that was the formula for victory for just about every team except for the Indianapolis Colts because of the last 18 minutes. All right, Chris.
3: I got to look at quarterback play. When you look at how the the Steelers were playing and how they were excelling, it was because they were being efficient with the football. In all of those losses, you saw Huge turnovers that were that were turning the game back back and the 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 way around. And again, these weren't turnovers when there was no game plan in place. These weren't, these weren't turnovers when nobody was open and Ben was just throwing into triple coverage because that was they were those were the only op- open guys. There were there were open guys in those situations. There were opportunities to be had in those situations, and they weren't being taken. And I, I this is not to say that Ben Roethlisberger is the only reason the Steelers had had the problems that they had. But when you saw his contributions go away with all the investments that they've made to give him receiver after receiver, that Led to the downturn of the offense, and then the team, you know, trying to keep up with his defense. But you know, let's let's be real. Like Tim, like Tim was mentioning, you know, no Bud Dupree, no Devin Bush. Team saying, aha, we're going to take advantage of that, and give credit to Alex Highsmith for fighting. But uh, it was obvious that the offense needed to step up late in the season. They ran out of gas. Ben Roethlisberger's efficiency, that was at a hi- at the highest level that he had ever had in his career, just went flat in the last six weeks of the year.
0: Uh, l- let's uh, keep the conversation going here, Mark. You talked about the stink sandwich. and they lose five of their final six games. That's an epic collapse. Can you point to one thing, Mark? Well, Albie, it's nobody's fault. Bring back the coach. Bring
1: back the quarterback. Obla-dee, obla-da. Life goes on, brah. But if we're pointing fingers, well, you can point them at anybody. There's blood on everyone's hands. But the defense was useless tonight. And, in fact, it wasn't very good down the stretch. But look at tonight. Tonight not one sack. All those sacks, but in the biggest game of the year, they couldn't come up with even one. I don't think they even had a quarterback hit. T.J. Watt, invisible. Cam Hayward, invisible. Stephon Tuitt invisible. Tyson Alawalu, invisible. Too many linebackers covering too many receivers and nobody could tackle. This is supposed to be an elite defense? That was one of the worst defensive performances in a big game I've ever seen by the Steelers.
2: Tim, keep it going. I'll keep it going. Make it Fitzpatrick. Zero forced turnovers in the last seven games, finishing 2020, just like he did 2019. I'm sorry, Mark, but Terrell Edmonds was visible. He was visible because Nick Chubb kept running around him for touchdowns. Nick Chubb is going to be like the new Fred Taylor in the AFC North for the Steelers to contend with. Um, Look, to, to Mark's point about, and your point, Albie, about the collapses, I think what you saw macro these last three years with Tomlin being unable to figure out how to stem the tide, you saw that minimally this way uh, this year in the sense that over the last six games, he just couldn't figure out how to stop the bleeding. Like I just talked about, other teams adjusted to the Steelers, and the Steelers had no answer to adjust back the last six weeks. All right, Chris.
3: I think I still think putting twenty nineteen on the same foot as this is a little different when you got Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing quarterback. But what I do think that they needed to make adjustments late in late in this season, and they, they weren't able to. And part of this might be the plan going into this year. They didn't go get the running back to change the rushing offense. They didn't invest invest a whole lot into the offensive line. And they said, Hey, Ben, we're gonna get you chase Clay. Well, and Tim, you brought this up a lot on Twitter throughout the season, is that you kept pointing out every time JK Dobbins he was making a big play, we're like, Oh, there goes another running back making a big play like this Steelers could have drafted. Maybe part of it was saying, "Hey, we're going to put a lot into this passing offense, and we're going to bet on Ben Roethlisberger being able to save us because this is his offense, and that's going to be able to get it done." And I think also, and and uh, we, I, we we talked about this last week, the decision to rest your players. You know, a lot of people might brush this under the rug, but the same thing happened against the Jaguars. You rested Pouncey, you rested Ben. The offense came out flat. You're down 21 nothing this time. It was 28 nothing, and you got Marquise Pouncey snapping the ball over Ben's head, and the th- and the two of them combining for. Five Five turnovers in a game where you lost by 11. I look at those as as clear and obvious reasons what led to this game on top of, yes, the defense stunk. Cam Hayward didn't do enough and he said there's got to be changes. Tuitt turned into a ghost. TJ Watt, the only time you saw him was when he got held the one play and you're right. Other than that, he didn't do anything. So there's a lot of problems to go around, but ultimately I look at the how this team is built and focusing on to one area and you got to look back and say you can't go into next year with that plan and you got seven players making over $14 million next year some of those guys may need to take pay cuts or hit the road
1: well the reason they come out flat isn't because those guys set out the games the reason they come out flat it happens all the time chris is because they have an unfocused immature locker room that has a damaged culture and is totally devoid of leadership that's why that happens let's not pretend it's because guys rested or because it's a fluke or because we'll just get them next time their culture isn't good and it can't be repaired by Mike Tomlin
2: yeah and Chris let's remember when we're talking about resting players and whatnot the Steelers had buys as the two seed under Tomlin the two times they went to the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. so it's not like a universal thing where that has to be the case all right. I, I'm not.
3: I will, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the bye is always the answer. I'm saying this season when your offense stunk for five weeks and then you finally got some life in that Colts game and then you decided, okay, that's all we need to see. We're going to rest them. That's where I think the problem was. And I think you had a similar situation with the way that that, la- that other season was ending. They needed to ride the hot hand and they took it out of them. And then it took them too long to figure it out in this game.
0: All right. Keep those thoughts coming when we come back. And still to come, the Steelers' decision to punt on. Uh, in the 4th quarter. Would you have punted or gone for it on 4th and 1 and and why? Michael on Facebook says you absolutely go for it. You could have changed the whole game right there. But uh, Hope had to just give the season away. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. I'm Albie Oxenrider Tonight with Mark Madden, Tim Benz, and Chris Carter. And let's revisit this topic. Chris, the Steelers' fourth quarter decision to punt, not knowing the Browns would drive and score. Would you have punted or gone for it on fourth and one? Why? I I was
3: on the 60-40 front of this decision. I I thought that punting made sense because, hey, that everyone talked about all season long. The Steelers can't get fourth and one and third and one, and they were the worst in the league at that. And you're saying, okay, you just stopped that offense three times in a row. The last pass that Baker Mayfield threw was almost a pick six. Why not try to pin them deep and get the defense out there? Obviously, it didn't work. But this is the same thing that, that happens every year in football, Albie. When when a coach makes a decision and it doesn't work out, he's stupid for it. When he makes a decision and it does work out, if you, if you like him, he's a genius. If you don't like him, you don't acknowledge it. A lot of people were saying they should have kicked the field goal when they were in the red zone and they went for it in fourth and goal. And then they ended up scoring a touchdown, and no one's going to talk about that. In that situation, I agree with punting, but I also understand where you're saying, you know what? No, you say Ben Roethlisberger, go get me that fourth and one, despite the fact that you haven't done it all season. I get the decision, but I understand where people, I'm sure Tim and Mark will probably say, nah, they, they, they should have absolutely gone for it there.
2: Well, not only Tim and Mark, Chris, but Mike Tomlin said it. No, Mike, I mean, he, he Mike said Tomlin said it after the, it just, after the uh, Buffalo game. If you if you can't get a yard, you don't deserve to win. So I guess they didn't deserve to win. And I'll be honest with you, I was actually more upset about the decision to punt when they were down 28-0 in the first half when they were at the Cleveland 39 or 38. That one made even less sense to me. All right, Lois on Twitter says, you have
0: to go for it there. That decision killed any chance of a comeback. Uh, Mark, your thoughts?
1: Uh, You absolutely have to go for it. And just because you haven't been able to uh, make the sticks on fourth and one, prior in the season, doesn't mean you give up on it in that situation when you have all the momentum. And Tomlin said, well, we thought the defense could get a stop. Yeah, they had gotten so many stops up to that point, right? Come on. They were getting eaten alive. And just because they got a couple stops in the series before that, you got to go for it. And like Tim said, I thought not going for it on fourth, and I think it was nine from the 38." Of, of Cleveland in the at the beginning of the second quarter was another cowardly decision. You're down 28 to nothing. You got to take a chance. How much damage does it do if they get the ball in their own 38 with a 28 nothing lead? I thought Mike Tomlin coached an absolutely chicken-hearted game. But but Chris, the logic you use, he's never at fault. If it works, he's great. If it doesn't, you criticize, which is another way of saying the coach is never at fault, which is why he'll no, coach forever. He'll that's, coach not where, forever. that's not where
3: I'm going with it there. I'm saying that as, as, when you look at it as a coach and you, weigh, and you weigh your options there, your defense had gotten three straight stops. They had two back-to-back three and outs. Baker Mayfield almost threw an interception that could have been returned for a touchdown in the last drive. I get the logic behind that. I'm, and again, I'm not saying that you're wrong for saying that he should have gone for it there. And Tim, you're right. He said before, if you, can't, if you can't get a yard, you don't deserve to win. But he's also saying, you know what? Maybe our defense can finally del- deliver they didn't in this game and it's been the first time in a long time this season that the defense hasn't been able to do anything in a game and that was that was a rarity this season it's the first time what they've given
2: up what 42 points this season 49 points however many points they well, gave the pr- up The first time they gave up 30 let alone 40 i think is Point what you're B. getting at but yeah it was also a very difficult punt for barry to try to pin them at and that was supposedly part of the strategy i mean look at what he did he kicked to 59 yards He deadened it at the one, and it was just a matter of how the ball hopped, and it hopped into the end zone for a touchback. So, I mean, I think when you look at the yardage exchange there, the cost-benefit analysis of it didn't really turn out in Tomlin's favor either.
0: All right. Uh, By the way, how about 68 pass attempts for Ben Roethlisberger? This has been the most answered topic on both Twitter and Facebook. Should it be the end of the line for Ben Roethlisberger? Do you have faith in him for one more run?
2: Uh, Tim, you're first on this one. Should it be? Yes, but it won't be because they don't have a succession plan. It's just Mason Rudolph right now. And, you know, if he decides he wants to come back, he will come back because they're not going to cut him because it would be the Troy Polamalu situation times 10. So I think he will be back. Based on what I've seen at the end of this season, they have to structure the offense so much accordingly to what Ben can't do anymore that what he can do gets swallowed up, but they don't have a succession plan for him. So he will be back. They'll play it out, and they're going to probably have to pay him $41 million to do it. All
0: right. Dave on Twitter says, hate to say it, the man has done a lot to contribute to the success of the franchise, but sometimes it's just time. Chris, what do you think? I mean
3: there's a lot of ifs that go into this situation you know what are you going to do with the other players that are making a lot of money like I said you got seven guys making more than 14 million dollars next next year that includes Steven Nelson who I'm not sure you could pay that much to be a number two corner and then you got Joe Hayden maybe him because when he was out there he was useful but D- uh, David DiCastro Marquise Pouncey are in that mix and neither of them played to the level that, that to, to make that that kind of money and if you're looking at Ben you got to have a re- realistic conversation like man you're making 41.2 million uh, n- dollars next year you're, we're going to need you to be either part of something completely different or you got to move on from that. Uh, that's the biggest question this year. Do they change the philosophy of things? Because if they do, I think it takes reinvesting into the offensive line, investing in a running back, an actual running back, not a third or fourth round pick that you hope turns into a, an above average guy, but a guy that you go and go and get. Uh, those are wholesale questions that are going to need to be determined if Ben's willing to work with that. Yes. If not, that's going to be the hard decision for, for, uh, for Kevin Colbert, the Roonies, and Mike Tomlin and everybody.
1: All right, Mark. Well, first off, I agree with Tim. Uh, Ben's absolutely going to be back. There, there's no question. And I'm choosing what I say now very carefully because I'm a big supporter of Ben and have been with issues both on and off the field. I think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think he's the best in his position in franchise history, and that's saying a mouthful considering Terry Bradshaw won four rings here. But he should quit. If you take money out of the equation, and, you know, if I'm him, I don't, but if you take money out of the equation, he should quit. Uh, in the last half of the season, including tonight, he displayed zero consistency. Zero consistency. Sometimes great, sometimes bad, and it added up to losing five of six. Ben should quit. He won't, but he should quit.
0: All right. Our last topic of the night. What are some reasons to be optimistic about the Steelers' future from the season? Let's go right back to Mark.
1: Alby. I'm afraid I've got some bad news that they, they, they won't make the playoffs next year. They'll be lucky. They finish 500 next year. They're going to lose guys like Bud Dupree, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Connor. Uh, I mean, two of those three aren't as good as the fans think they are, but Bud's going to be a big loss. High Smith might replace him adequately, but the guys they got coming back. And like Chris Carter said, they're paying so many guys so much money. They're going to have to make some tough decisions there too. But, uh, I just don't see them getting better. I don't see a lot of key players getting better. In fact, I see a lot of key players getting worse, whether it's Ponce, Hayward, Ben, Tewitt. The list goes on and on. So I take nothing good away from this season. How can you when they lost five of their last six and collapsed for the third straight season down the stretch?
0: All right. Greg on Facebook says they'll have plenty of cap space in 2022.
2: Tim. If he's skipping over 2021, I kind of agree with him. My reason for optimism, it doesn't have to start for another eight months. That's my reason for optimism. Uh, I guess aside from that, maybe they can start rebuilding the offensive line in the run game. Uh, but I don't think it'll be fixed by next year. I don't. Uh,
3: Chris? I think they still got a lot of young, young players that are are learning to play and playing well. I I liked what Chase Claypool brought this year. I thought he played really hard. I thought in this playoff game, again, I think if they can't, they come out in this game and they're targeting the ball down the field and taking shots against a team with two missing starting cornerbacks to start this game off and not trying to dink and dunk and throwing dumb passes to James Conner or Benny Snell that get intercepted. I think that leads to more results, but Chase Claypool, Kevin Dotson, who needed to start today, by the way. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I got the decision early, but I'm like, man, that was a strikeout miss. Um, but you also you look at the return of Devin Bush, who, who's, who's extremely young, and he will help the middle of the field. you got to hope that, that those young guys are part of – what's positive moving forward. And you do see young progress there. Also, like they say with Alex Highsmith, I think they've got a lot of young pieces that you could build a nucleus around and say, hey, this is the group moving forward. But like we're all saying, there's a lot of people getting a lot of money next year. And it, you're you're not so sure that all of them need to stick around because they're, like like Mark said, there's a lot of tough decisions to be made. There's gonna be guys that you wanna bring back, guys that you already have on the, on the roster to bring back, but you're like, I don't know if you can pay them that much. That's where it's going to make be the story of this offseason. Who gets the ax? Who's the salary cap hit? Um, and then what do the Steelers invest in to bring into this team? And, like, Tim, I, I think that offensive line and getting a running game to balance, balance out the offense, whether it's Ben or, or someone else, um, I think that's a huge part of what
2: needs to happen moving forward.
1: You know they need, like, literally four offensive linemen, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: how, how do you fix that by next season?
2: You know, their best offensive lineman, their, their most clear answer, in my opinion, is Dotson at left guard. Yeah. And then you put Filer back out at right tackle and get yourself a new left tackle if Phil a Wave is gone via, via free agency.
3: I, I think that maybe you can find someone being serviceable uh, in either banner or core four at, at, at left or right, but the key is they need an anchor back on the offensive line, and they haven't had that. When, they, when this offensive line was either the best offensive line or a top five offensive line, however you rank them in the middle of the, of the 2010s, is because they had three anchors in Pouncey, DeCastro, and Gilbert, and Foster was very good, and Villanueva was very good at times, but they fed off of those guys. If Dotson can become an anchor in the next couple years and you're looking at, hey, invest one of your first-round picks into – a Leatherwood from Alabama or someone else, you can start to build the remnants of a new offensive line. But I do agree. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot to have to hope for going forward
1: right now. Right. And if you can't fix it by next year, fixing it for the year after when Ben probably won't be playing, what good will that do? Well, again, you're building. You're building the young nucleus to build for
3: whenever Ben leaves. Yes, it's going to be dark times, but you got to keep building as if you're building a roster. And you know, this isn't the Pirates where they got to just sell out because they don't have a salary cap, and, and that's what Bob Nutting does. You still keep building with pieces, and if you keep building with pieces, maybe eventually you say, okay, you know what? This guy's the high-up guy in the draft. We've got three really good young players that are on their rookie contracts, and we're going to trade away two of them in a pick, and that's how we get the next quarterback you know, you in the know future. What, Chris, you got to build there.
2: Uh, I'm concerned. There are a hell of a lot closer to the Pirates than they are to the Steelers right now. <laughs> that's All that's right. a one. When we come back, we're going to go around the horn on any topic. The final
0: word is next at 1:25:31 31 a.m. Back after this.
2: The final word.
0: Wake up. Time for the final word. Everybody gets a chance, and Chris Carter, you're first.
3: One thing that the Steelers have built their organization on, and built their success on over the past however long you go back, to the fact that they started. They've had three coaches since 1969. Is that they haven't had knee jerk reactions. They haven't panicked when uh, when Bill Cower was 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 thinking up in the late 90s, or when he had six and ten in t- in 2003. This is a this is a time where a lot of people are going to look at this Browns game. You're going to Steelers fans especially are going to feel depressed. They're going to be like, "Wow, that was horrible. This is the worst loss ever." And yeah, you can say all that, but. For the people who want to just fire Tomlin and gut everything, I think that you're that you're overlooking a lot of things. When you look across the league, when you look across how teams like the Giants have gotten rid of Tom Coughlin and they've fallen into ruin. and other organizations, you could say the same thing when they get rid of their longtime coaches. It's a huge mistake. The thing is, right now, you go look at what the problems were on the, have been on the field. Turnovers have been the problem. You look to address that in the offseason, however you're moving forward. But just gutting Mike Tomlin and saying that that's going to fix everything and that that's going to be the end-all, be-all, That's a huge mistake. You gotta keep looking at each picture by picture.
1: Mark, final word. The Steelers replaced Chuck Knoll successfully. They replaced Bill Cowher successfully. They can replace Mike Tomlin successfully. Enough's enough. The culture's damaged. He can't fix it. They've collapsed the last three seasons down the stretch, and if I keep repeating it, it's because it's worth repeating. I know it's not gonna happen, and they might not get a better coach. Then again, They might. Like I said, they replace Nolan Cower. If Ben quits, whoever plays quarterback next year wouldn't be as good. But tell me how to fix it if you let everything basically in place. They're going to fire Fickner and make him the scapegoat because it's what they do, and that will placate the citizens. But if you bring back the coach and the quarterback, next season won't go any better than this. In fact, I bet it doesn't go nearly as well. Tim,
2: final word. Well, Albie, the offseason speculation about the Steelers started this afternoon, long before the Steelers even took the field. And I'm talking about how Omar Khan was brought up as apparently the guy that Deshaun Watson and many others within the Texans organization wanted as their new general manager before they went with Nick Casario. And on top of that, the Lions are trying to lure Kevin Colbert to Detroit, where he started as a scouting vice president in uh, 1990 to 1999. Now, that won't happen, but there's debate over how the Lions are going to try to lure Kevin Colbert. I have a suggestion. Show him game tape of the first quarter of tonight's Steelers-Browns game. He might want to go to Detroit.
0: All right, now, thanks guys. Our final word now from social media. Brian on Facebook says the Steelers beat themselves. Four first quarter turnovers made all the difference. You can say that twice, but we don't have time. All right. uh, consider Joe Hayden's situation for a second. Joe Hayden plays all those years in Cleveland. He comes to Pittsburgh. The big thing he wants to do in Pittsburgh is win a Super Bowl. He's had some injury issues and of course, you know, most recently he had the COVID situation, didn't play in the game tonight. Um, But but Ben comes back from the the shoulder or from the elbow injury. He has surgery. Everything seems to go right. They have a great defense. They start off 11-0. Ben looks like he's a world beater. Everything's fallen into place, and then everything collapsed. Five losses in six games, and Joe Hayden's new team that he thought would get them to that championship loses to Joe Hayden's old team, and all of a sudden the Steelers are left to wonder. To quote Chuck Knoll, their problems are great, and they are many. I'm Albie Ochsnerditer for Mark Madden, Tim Benz, and Chris Carter. See you next time.